We're going to be talking about family today, and specifically as we continue our series on that word hurt, we're going to be looking at hurt that we have endured from our parents. A tough topic for sure, right? Already the awkward laughing has begun. You know, back in the spring, we did a deep dive study on the life of Joseph. Took about three months to study Joseph. And I want to return back to that story this morning because the story of Joseph is so ripe with family dysfunction. But you know, you can really look throughout the Bible, starting with the very first family ever that existed and see family dysfunction to the point of murder in the first family, right? It's everywhere. It's all throughout the Old Testament. And what that tells us is that family life is hard, all right? God didn't just put that in there for one or two people. It's because all families are really hard. And we deal with all sorts of issues. And I want to look in a story this morning that really doesn't involve Joseph, but it does involve his family and especially his dad. His dad is Jacob. And we're going to look in Genesis chapter 34, starting in verse 1. And it says this. It says, one day Dinah, the daughter of Jacob and Leah, went to visit some of the young women who lived in the area. But when the local prince, Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, saw Dinah, he seized her and raped her. But then he fell in love with her, and he tried to win her affection with tender words. Not, not sure how you go about that, but he tried. He said to his father, Hamor, get me this young girl. I want to marry her. Soon Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled his daughter, Dinah. But since his sons were out in the fields herding his livestock, check this out, he said nothing until they returned. So Jacob, dad of Dinah, hears that she has been raped. His daughter has been raped. And he does nothing. He wants to wait for his sons to get back in. And what transpires after that is a whole lot of crazy. And we're not going to get into all of it, but I'll paraphrase the story in saying that Jacob's sons hear about it, especially two of them, Simeon and Levi, who are... Dinah's true brothers, and they go crazy. They go to this town and say, yeah, you can marry Dinah, but all the men in the village have to, have to be circumcised first. And they say, okay, sure, we'll do it. And they do. And while they're still healing, they go in and they slaughter, slaughter every male in town. All right, that is the, that is the response of the brothers to hearing that Dinah's been raped. Jacob's response, he did nothing. And then it picks up here in verse 20, uh, 27. It says, Meanwhile, the rest of Jacob's sons arrived. Finding them in slaughter, they plundered the town because their sister had been defiled there. They seized all the flocks and herds and donkeys, everything they could lay their hands on, both inside the town and outside in the fields. They looted all their wealth and plundered their houses. They also took all their children and wives and led them away as captives. Wow. So this is what happens after Dinah has been raped and Jacob has done nothing. And here's, here's what's important to understand about this story. Where Jacob has led his family, this town that they are in, where Dinah has been raped, the town is incredibly immoral. Like it is an, there's an unwritten law in this town that if you see a woman, if you see a girl, a young lady who was alone, she's basically free game. All right, you can go after her and you can do exactly what Shechem did, which is rape her. And it's, it might be like a little frowned upon, but like that's it. That's the worst of it. And so if you go back and you read this whole story, you'll see that Shechem and his dad's response is just like, you know, what, can, can we set some, some deal where he can marry her? 
There's no apology. You know, there's no, there's no courtroom battle or anything like that or arrest made. So J- Jacob has, has done two things really bad in this story. And the first one is he exposed his family to danger, specifically his daughter. He exposed her to danger by bringing her to a place that was incredibly immoral. And there are many of us in here who have a testimony similar to that, where when we were young, when we were little, we were exposed to things by our parents of all people that we were not ready for, that we were not capable of handling at a young age. And so the effects of that are, are, are all sorts of different, you know, it, it, for Dinah, she was raped. For us, who knows what it was. But, but our parents put us in a position, put us in a place where danger was lurking and we felt the effects of it. So that's the first mistake that Jacob makes. The second mistake that he makes, I would say, is even worse than that. And that's when he hears about Dinah, he does nothing. He operates with inaction. He doesn't do anything. And here's the thing about inaction when it comes to our parents and us. When our parents don't act on our behalf, when we are hurting, when something has happened to us, when we are wrong, whether it's something like Dinah or maybe, maybe we just skinned our knee in the backyard. Maybe we had a bad day at school. Maybe the person that we like rejected us and our parents don't do anything. That inaction feels a lot like rejection. And now I've been rejected by my parents who are supposed to protect me, who are supposed to love me. And that thing that I was hurting for before either is made much worse or isn't even that big of a deal compared to the rejection that I feel towards my parents. And so as Dinah has been raped and her dad does nothing, not only has she been raped, but now she's been rejected by her dad. How do you think she's feeling in all of this? Listen, bad things happen to us all the time. The world is a dangerous place. The schools that we go to can be dangerous. The the streets, wherever it might be, our offices, all sorts of things surround us. But when the people that are over us don't protect us, it makes it so much harder because then it becomes even more personal. And that is what Jacob did to Dinah by not acting on her behalf. And what he does is he actually does nothing and he lets his his sons come and hear about it and he lets them fight the battle for him. And then, and we'll see this in just a second, he actually gets mad at them for how they reacted to a situation that he should have handled. My goodness, Jacob, you're quite the character. You're quite the character. So now we have, he's allowed his family to be in a place of danger. And when danger arises, he does absolutely nothing. It goes on to say in verse 30, afterward, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have ruined me. You have made me stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us. I will be ruined and my entire household will be wiped out. So there it is. He's mad at the sons for how they responded to the news about Dinah. And then Jacob, it's, it's all about him. You have ruined me. You have made me stink. I will be ruined. Me, me, me. There's nothing in here about Dinah. Nothing at all about her. It's all about how this affects him. My goodness, 
you would think, you would hope that there would be something, something about Dinah in here. But it's all about Jacob. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, certainly not this morning. But I guarantee you, there's some of us in here this morning whose parents sound a lot like Jacob in this moment. You're hurting. You're suffering. And they say, this is how this affects me. This is all about me. And that is hard. You know, there's, there's a couple things that I wonder about in this story when I read it. And the first one, the first thing that I wonder about in this story is what would it have been like if Dinah had been the daughter of Jacob and Rachel instead of Jacob and Leah? You see, Jacob had two wives. They were sisters, and he really loved Rachel. And he kind of got stuck with Leah. I mean, honestly, he had, he's like, okay, I'll marry Leah because because that leads me to be able to marry who I really want, which is Rachel. And Jacob loved the sons that Rachel bore, Joseph and Benjamin. And the children that Leah had, he's like, you know, whatever. So imagine what would have happened if Dinah had been the daughter of Jacob and Rachel and not Jacob and Leah. Dinah, don't you dare go into that town by yourself. Don't you, I want every single one of your brothers, all 10, to escort you there. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to that town. I don't want to take that risk because I love you. I wonder, I wonder what it would have been like if he had actually loved her the way that he should. And then the second thing, of course, is what would have happened if Jacob had actually done something once he heard that his daughter had been raped? Probably would have saved an entire town probably would have saved families. These, these women and these children that were taken off as captives would still have been able to have been in their homes with their husbands and their dads. Maybe when we read verse 30, we don't hear I, 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 but we hear Dinah, Dinah, Dinah. And it, it, it's amazing the ripple effect that bad and passive parenting can have on our lives and those around us. And we can do the same thing in our own life and we can ask these what ifs. What if he had just done that? What if my mom had just done this? What if they had loved me in this moment? What if they had protected me and not allowed me to go here? What if they had stepped up to the plate and been the parent that I needed them to be? What if, what if, what if? And we crush ourselves in those hypotheticals because all we're looking for is some sort of answer as to why, why? But I want to say this to all of those this morning who struggle with this very topic. Listen to me very clearly. The inability for your parent or parents to parent you is not a reflection on you. It's a reflection on their brokenness. And if you understand this story, the reason that Dinah's not in there is because the story's about Jacob, not about her. She is the victim of his ineffectiveness in parenting, but it's about him and his brokenness. And the same is true with us. The same is true with you. Don't allow their brokenness to define you. Because it doesn't. It does not define you. The reason that family is so hard is because families are a group of sinners living under the same roof. Right? And we're all selfish to an extent. And some are harder than others, no doubt. But at the basic core of things, that's what family is a group of people that desperately need Jesus. Do not let your parents' 
inability to parent define you? There's only one person that can define you. And that is your creator. And it is not your parents. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says who you are. Psalms 139 verses 13 through 16 say, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of y'all need to underline that in your Bible this morning. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me, saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We are God's creation. No one else's. He gets the title of creator. Not even our parents. It is his job. It is his duty. And he says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if God is our creator and God is perfect, then you are not a mistake. There's nothing wrong with you. God is your creator. Your parents' ineffectiveness to parent you is because they're broken. You know, Jacob is not, I'll be honest with you, Jacob is not my favorite person in the Bible. He drives me kind of crazy. Lied to his dad when his dad was incredibly vulnerable. Stole from his brother. Stole or tricked his uncle. Favored uh, one wife over the other. Favored his children over the other. And you can get really, really mad at Jacob. But the truth is this, in all of his brokenness, in all of his failures, God still loved him. And believe it or not, the same is true for your parents. God still loves them. And he loves you. Psalms 27.10 says, Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. And, and I believe that for many of us this morning, that you need to be held close by your heavenly father. You've been looking for that hug. You've been looking for that affection from Maybe your parents, maybe a, a boyfriend or girlfriend or even, even a husband or wife and, and you're, you're still being left unfulfilled because of this hurt that you have. God's saying, I'm your creator. Let me comfort you. Let me cover you. Let me take that role. You know, the story of Joseph, and we're gonna go back to, we're gonna shift our focus to Joseph as he gets sold into slavery by his own family. But I'm going to spoil the ending here and jump to Genesis 45 and starting in verse 4. And listen to the words of Joseph in all of this. He's talking to his brothers here and there's restoration that's happening. These same brothers that sold him into slavery. He says, please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. Here it is. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine has ravaged the land for two years and will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Verse seven, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So for the third time, it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. 
So what do we see here? God was in it with Joseph. When his family rejected him and sold him into slavery, God was in it. And the same is true for each one of us. Despite the circumstances of our family, God is in it with us. He's in it with you and he proves it. He doesn't, don't take my word for it. Galatians 4 verses 5 through 7 say, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This is what God did, y'all. He saw us and he said, I'm going to trade my son. I'm gonna trade my son and I'm gonna hang him on a cross so that you can be my child, so that you can be my children. You can live with me for eternity. You have a seat at my table. You are my children, and I'm gonna show you by giving up my very own. Think about that, y'all. For those of us that are parents in the room, what in the world? Here, I'm gonna give you my child here on a cross so that I can adopt all the broken, all the needy, all the hurting as my very own children as well. He is in it with you. He's in it with you. And though your earthly parents may have rejected you, may have shown all sorts of inaction in your life growing up, maybe even now still as an adult, God did the complete opposite. He didn't show inaction. He acted. He acted in the greatest way possible by sending Jesus to die for each one of us so that we could be his children. I just want to take a moment before we continue. Say, look where you are right now. You might be questioning this and saying, this is, this is a great sermon, James. It's awesome for someone else. But that ain't for me. It's a lot easier said than done. But look where you are right now, literally in this moment, God has brought you in to his house to tell you that he loves you and he wants to save you and you can get prayed for big miraculous prayers over your life. He's brought you home. Listen, Beaches Chapel is a home for all to begin and grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We say here at Beaches Chapel, we are a family and we mean it. That's why we stand and pray for those who, who, who have these children growing up. We stand and we believe with them and help each other and pray for one another. And where you're sitting right now, yes, it may have been a hard road to travel to get to this point, but look where you are now. He's brought you home. To say, this is not just for the person next to you. This is not just for your neighbor. This is for you. And it doesn't matter how hard and how, how rejected you felt growing up. Look where I've put you. I've put you right here in my midst so that you can spend eternity with me. Hallelujah. You are not the exception. You are part of what God is doing. 
And all you need to know is to look around and see where you're at this Sunday morning on October 17th. Yes, it is for you as well. Psalm 68, verse 5. says, Father to the fatherless, defender of the widows, this is God, whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. And he's done so with everyone here at Beaches Chapel. I said earlier our mission statement, and it's based off these verses, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. You hear me? He has brought you home. And he is our father. This is his home. This is his home and it doesn't matter irrespective of how we got here. You have the right to the name Christian as anybody else. It doesn't matter about your upbringing. It doesn't matter what your parents looked like. It doesn't matter what you said or what you did yesterday on your drive into church this morning. This is your home. This is your home. He is the father to the fatherless. He is our creator. And he wants to restore that hole in your heart that you've been walking with for so long. That feeling of being rejected because your parents were broken. That has nothing to do with you. He says, come home and I will heal your heart and I will place you in a family and you will be healed. And I'll show you that I am a good, good father over you. You are not an exception. I hope y'all are listening this morning. Some of y'all need to hear this. I want to have the band come on back up. We're going to close with some worship. And I want to reread a story that I read last week with Isaiah House here. And it, it was appropriate when talking about, um, you know, orphans and foster care. But I believe it's appropriate this morning as well. And we're going to look back on an Exodus chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. It says, About this time a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river. And her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Just a couple things I want to highlight from this story. And first, it's Moses. Moses didn't have a say in what was going on with him in this moment. He didn't get a vote. There was no discussion. Hey, Moses, what do you think? You think we should put you in this basket and say goodbye? 
All he knew was that he was alone and mommy was gone. That was his reality in that moment. Mommy's gone. We don't get a say in who our parents are. We don't get a vote. We're not involved in the discussion. Just here we are. And there were many, many of us in here, I feel like we were put in a basket. And parents are gone. And all we're left saying is, where's mommy? Where's dad? I don't see him anywhere. But here's the thing. As God did this for Moses, he sent someone to protect Moses to raise Moses up. He sent the king's daughter, the princess. And that's great. What an awesome thing. But check this out. For us, he didn't send the king's daughter. He sent the king of kings' son. He sent someone for us to work on our behalf when we couldn't, when we were placed in that basket, when we felt left alone by our parents. He sent Jesus. And, the, and, and Pharaoh's daughter in this moment, she's, she invests, she pays someone to take care of Moses. And then she brings him into her own home. How much more so God with Jesus. He invests in us by paying for, for, for Jesus on the cross, paying for our sins. It's not with money, but with his life. And he's invested in us so that we can come into his home and be raised by him. So yes, maybe your parents weren't the greatest. Maybe you were left wondering, what if? And you felt like you were placed in a basket and just pushed out, asking, where where are they in all this? I don't understand. Know this, that your creator is invested in you. He is invested in you because he gave the ultimate sacrifice. He paid the ultimate price by putting Jesus on the cross so that we could be with him forever and eternity. So that we be part of the family and call God our heavenly father. Thank you, Jesus. We're gonna take communion this morning. I just wanna read this verse. It's Ephesians chapter one, verses four and five. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us, not rejected us, y'all, chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Do y'all hear that? This is what God wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. God is not a God who is inactive. He reacts. He saw a problem and he fixed it. You are not rejected. You are not forgotten. He will not lead you to a dangerous place and then leave you alone. No, we go through hard times, but yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil 
for you are with me. In those moments, God is with us. So when danger is lurking, he's there to protect us because he is our good, good father. And he loves you so much. He loves you so much. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are invested in us. That you sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be part of your family. So that we could sit at the table and dine with you. And we have that place in heaven reserved for us as your children. And there's no second guessing, Father. We're going to go into that place as if it's our own home now. Walk in confidently because we belong at that table. We belong in that home that you're building. Not because we did anything, Father, but because you chose to invest in us. And you made a way. Father, I just want to pray right now for those that have felt rejected by their parents. For those of us in here, God, who didn't have the greatest childhood, whose homes weren't the healthiest place, and even now still struggle with it, maybe still have a lot of issues with our parents. Father, first, I want to pray for the parents that you died for as well. God, I just want to pray that you would heal them in their brokenness. You would do a miracle for them. For the children of those parents who are in this room right now, that they would be a light to their parents. God, that they would not grow weary in praying for them, lifting them up. And they would not associate their parents' inabilities to their identity. Because our identity says that we are yours. We are yours alone. God, I just speak against that curse, that hurt that so many carry. I pray that you would break those chains in Jesus' name. Pray, Father, that you would heal them, Father. Heal their hearts and let them hear the words that we said this morning that are written in your word. That you love us. God, that you adopted us as your children. In no man, can take that away. We are yours. Father, right now we take the bread in remembrance of what you did on that cross, how your body was broken, how you were beaten and bruised and mocked and spit on so that we could be called children of the Most High God. Thank you for the investment that you made with your son for us. Let's take the bread. Father, we thank you for your blood, Jesus, that was poured out on that day. As you were beaten, as you were bruised, and it just came flowing out, Father, on the cross, dripping down onto the ground, puddling on the ground. Thank you, Lord, for that blood that makes us new washes all the sin away, all the guilt and shame, Lord. And I pray right now for that as well, Jesus, those that have been walking with shame because of how they were treated. Wash it away in Jesus' name. Wash it away, Father. Make us clean this morning. God, we leave those things. We leave our our guilt. We leave our sin at the altar. And we don't take it out of this room. 
because your blood washes us clean. So cleanse us today, God. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your mercy that is new every single day. It does not run dry. Let's take the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand and worship this morning. And as we do, if you need to do more business at the altar, it's open. If you just need to come before the Lord and kneel. But I just want everyone in here to know as we wrap up this morning that you are loved by the Most High God. You are so loved. You're so loved. Let's stand and worship.